Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church weekly podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. Lived and served in order for us to be able to have it accessible. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, were, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. The grass withers and the flowers fade. God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Hark how all the welkin rings. Glory to the King of kings. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Universal nature say, Christ the Lord is born this day. That hymn sound familiar? Sounds familiar, but it sounds different, doesn't it? Those were the original lyrics to John Wesley's hymn, Hark the herald angels sing. And he, he was walking to church in 1739 on Christmas morning, and he heard the bells toll across the city. And he was raptured up in thought of what would it be like to have been with those shepherds. And he later wrote in his journal, what did the angels say? What was it like to have been there? What could it have been like to be guarding those sheep between Bethlehem and Jerusalem all of those many years ago and to hear the gospel preached by angels? And it's angels, Peter tells us, who when the gospel is preached and when they see lives transformed, they crane their necks to look. This advent, we're going to take you back to those fields where these shepherds are frozen in fear at the appearance of this angel proclaiming to them Luke 2, 13 and 14. And we're going to do so by singing and meditating on Wesley's great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Why are we doing this? For two reasons. Number one that three times in the early account of the gospel of Luke, when Luke sets out to write to Theophilus, this young Christian at best, this curious non-believer perhaps, when he writes to him three times in the first two chapters, angels appear. And that seems like a strange way to begin an objective intellectual account of the gospel, doesn't it? 
We downplay the role of spiritual beings in, in, in the spiritual realm in our midst. And these angels help us de- develop a more robust and a more biblical world and life view, according to Scripture. And secondly, the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is rich with theology and beauty. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, if you don't disciple your children, then they will be discipled. And so we want to think of as many ways to catechize or to teach or to help our children embody the gospel. And as somebody told me the other day, Blake, your children's sermons are probably better than your real sermons. So maybe as we disciple our children, then we too might learn a few things. So here are the questions. What are angels? How do we relate to them? And do you hear them? What are angels? How do we relate to them? And do you hear them? First, what are angels? Like I said, by the time that Luke gets to chapter 2, he's already mentioned three appearances of angels. And, and in the original, of course, there were no chapter or verse divisions. And so very early in this account to Theophilus, we see the confrontation of angels with men. It's a curious way to begin to tell someone about the truth of the gospel who might be curious. And it tells us that the worldview of the ancient world was very different from our own. In the Old Testament... Old Testament saints believed that there were two realms. There was the earth beneath, and there was the spiritual realm above. And these two were very separate and yet real realms. And on occasion, they touched. Where's an example of where they might have touched in Scripture? Well, the Garden of Eden is one of those examples where the spiritual realm and the earthly realm overlapped. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was holy. It was, it was exactly what God designed to be before the fall. Another example where they touched was in the tabernacle. The spiritual and the earthly realm touched, especially in the Holy of Holies. And later, we see it in the temple in Jerusalem. And we have a lot to learn from our forefathers in Scripture because the the late modern world largely completely denies the presence of the existence of the spiritual realm because we are led by science. And we are, and science, of course, is beautiful and good, and we don't put science against Scripture. There's not a need to pit them against each other. But we must recognize also that Scripture speaks about some things that science can't explain. Scripture tells us the why, and science tells us the how, and those are not at odds with each other. And in the ancient world, Abraham, for example, as one who would have seen this this worldview of the earthly and the spiritual, would have looked up to the heavens, and he would have believed that they were the heavens, the spiritual realm. And we look up at the sky at night, and you'll see these amazing balls of gas called the sun or the stars or or the moon. But Abraham looked up there, and what did he see? Abraham saw the angels in heaven. They were the spiritual beings overlooking earth. They were watching down as though they were God's ambassadors or God's staff, cheering him on in the work of creation. The ancient world had a very different perspective of the spiritual and the earthly. They believed in both. And so therefore, it's not a, it's not a struggle for us when you see Luke explaining this. Luke was a, a well-educated, he was a physician, He was bright. 
And so it shouldn't strike us as odd that when Luke is is trying to explain the gospel to, to the seeker, to Theophilus, that Luke would start off with angels because Theophilus would have had a worldview that had an ability to compensate for that. Do you? Do you recognize that even though you can't see the Lord himself, he's here in our midst in worship wherever two or three gather. And he intends to change you through ordinary means like the spoken word and through confession of sin and faith together and through the Lord's Supper in just a minute. So, okay, all that's great, Blake, but what are angels? Here's a definition. Angels are God's messengers who glorify God, bring God's word, fight God's battles, and minister to God's people. Angels are ministers, are God's messengers who glorify God, bring God's word, fight God's battle, and minister to God's people. The word angelos in Greek just means messenger. It's used 203 times in Scripture. And angels are called by different names. They're called sons of God, holy ones, spiritual uh, spirits, watchers, thrones, dominions, principalities, authorities, powers. They're often called the hosts of heaven or the armies of heaven. Ezra says, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 9, you are the Lord, you alone, and you have made the heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So angels are God's messengers who glorify God. If our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then what is the chief end of angels? Well, like us, they exist to glorify God. They, like us, reflect God's glory back to the world. And God probably created the angels after the first day. And there's a lot about angels and the uniqueness of the, that, that we don't know, according to Scripture. Try as we might. We just simply don't know some things. But angels, we do know, are authorized ambassadors of God, standing ready in His presence to be sent out to do His bidding as ministers of His between the spiritual and the earthly worlds. Not only do angels glorify God, but they glorify God by worshiping him day and night. Job 38, 7, Isaiah 6, Psalm 103, 20, Psalm 148, 2, Revelation 5, 11. The living creatures around the Lord in the presence of glory are called his hosts, his angels in 2 Samuel chapter 22 or Psalm 18 or Psalm 80 or Psalm 99. We could go on and on. So not only do angels glorify God, but they also bring God's word. As his authorized ambassadors, angels come to us with God's authority, and they came to the Old Testament saints bringing God's word. Now, angels today reflect the beauty of God's revealed word to us now. The canon is closed, but in the Old Testament, the angels of God came, for example, They came with great power, 
They came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. They came to Lot in Genesis chapter 19. They came to Joseph in Genesis chapter 28. And in 32, they announced the giving of the law in Acts chapter 7. And they announced the great events of redemptive history in Daniel chapter 8 and 9 and 10 and Matthew 1 and Luke 1 and Revelation 18 and 19 and 21. I mean, there's, it's shot through where angels bring God's word to us. And even now as we worship, even now, we worship, friends, together with the hosts of heaven who though we can't see them, they are shouting and they are singing for glory and for joy around the throne. So they glorify God, they bring God's word, and they fight God's battles. What does that mean? Well, during the exile, an angel appeared to Daniel, and he showed Daniel the conflict that angels fight on behalf of God in Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. And of course, Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, it's against the cosmic powers of this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The angels fight God's battles. Now, does God need somebody to fight his battles for him? No, he's, in, he's omnipotent. He's completely all-powerful in every way. He could end it like that. But Scripture tells us some things that may be confusing to us. And one of the things that they tell us is that angels are fighting God's battles, which means that they're fighting for you. They see us. They're fighting for you. Theologians describe all the time, you know, whether it's Catholic or Protestant or evangelical or progressive, theologians are struggling to think, what exactly do angels do day to day? And one thing that they all agree on is that angels are observers. They are watchers. They are with you. And while the idea of a guardian angel is not explicit in Scripture, it's also not necessarily untrue, although it can't be. It's just speculation. But they watch you. They're there. They see you. And it's possible, very possible, that in, in, in judgment we'll find that not only was Christ there, but of course the angels of, of glory were there. They, they saw everything because they were there. They, they craned their necks to see Jesus' work in your life. It's beautiful. So they glorify God, they bring God's word, they fight God's battle, and they minister to God's people. In 1 Kings chapter 6, we see that angels protected Elisha from the king of Syria. We see in Jesus' own temptation, it was the angels that came and they ministered to him. In Hebrews, we hear that it is the Lord who sends ministering spirits to comfort us. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but have you ever, have you ever seen uh, someone that you may have shared the gospel with or a family member or somebody, a child even, when they come to communion, like they believe the gospel for the first time? And there's just like this exuberant sense of joy. Like you feel like, man, this is something special. What is that? Well, it says in heaven that... The angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents. And maybe that sense of exuberant joy is that they're also with you, cheering the whole situation on. And the presence of this deep nearness to the Lord may be that God's angels are there ministering to you in the midst of his redemptive work in your life. Are you with me? Do you see where we're going? 
Angels are minister, are God's messengers who glorify God, bringing God's word, fighting God's battles, and ministering to God's people. Okay, one more thing, and this is a bonus. Angels neither marry or are given in marriage, Matthew 22 says. So it's logical to conclude that angels don't reproduce or exist in families as we know them. And many theologians deduce that when angels fell, they fell as individuals. They didn't fall as a federal head like we all fell in Adam. They fell individually. And that every individual angel, theologians may speculate, is a species of their own. So angels don't exist as a common species, but each one of them is a unique creation by the Lord. And I share that just to say that, man, that's cool to think about. That God is so amazingly creative. That between, after the first day, he made these heavenly hosts to be his echo chamber, to sing of his glory, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to minister to man and woman who he knew he was going to create at the end of the sixth day. Okay, so what's all this have to do with Luke? Theophilus was very familiar with the spiritual realm. And when Luke compiles this orderly account, this orderly account, he compiles it beginning with stories about angels. And today we may think that that's very odd. But in the first century mind, it was not odd at all. Now, secondly, how are we to relate to angels? Wesley's fellow Anglican friend and preacher in the First Great Awakening, George Whitfield, saw Wesley's original lyrics, Hark the Herald Welkin Rings, and said, that's not going to work. <laughs> Welkin was an ancient English word for the vault of heaven. So it was saying, hark, the angels are singing to the vault of heaven as other angels join in the chorus to sing glory to the newborn king. And, and Whitfield said, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to work. We've got to change it. So 20 years later, he changed the lyrics to hark, the herald angels sing. And it originally had 10, 10 stanzas, 10 verses. You think we sing a lot of verses. There's 10 verses in the original song, and it's saying about the redemptive history and the role of angels throughout redemptive history is beautiful. And in 1961, when the hymnals were being printed, they cut out seven of them, and they just stuck with three. And Scripture makes it very clear that there are several ways that an awareness of angels can deepen our own spiritual worship of Jesus, the Messiah. On the one hand, we should not think that angels have nothing to do with us today. And on the other hand, we need to be careful not to have an over-speculation about angels or an over-infatuation with angels because it was, after all, the worship of angels, which Paul calls the Colossians out in Colossians chapter 2 for their disobedience because of their over-speculation with angels. So how do you relate to them? First, when we come together in worship, we join with innumerable angels in the festal gathering. Festal just means the Lord's Supper gathering. There are innumerable angels that worship together with us. Second, Angels can sometimes observe our behavior. 
The author of Hebrews makes it clear that angels sometimes have inspection visits. (laughs) Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware, Hebrews chapter 13. And so this should make us minister to those in need around us. It's not a guilt trip to make you give to the red kettle when you walk into Kohl's. It's not to make you a guilt trip when you see somebody who has a need, but it is to help you recognize that your display of hospitality, Christians, is one of the ways that God extends His glory to the earth. And sometimes in your showing of hospitality, you have entertained an angel completely unaware. Third, when you're suddenly delivered from danger or from accident, we might suspect that angels have been sent by God to help us, and we should be thankful. Who was it that shut the mouths of lions in Daniel? It was the angels. Who twice delivered the apostles from prison? In Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 12, it was the angels. Who, del- who ministered to Jesus after his temptation? And if they ministered to Jesus, how much more do we need them to minister to us? the angels. Who was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22? But the angels. In Psalm 91, it says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Who quoted those words about angels when they were trying to tempt Jesus? Satan. So certainly the reality of angels and the power of angels in the Christian life was known to Jesus, of course, but also to Satan. And he used that verse to tip Jesus because he knew how much Jesus valued the reality of angels. Now, there's several cautions about angels too. When we come together for worship, they are with us. Angels can sometimes observe our behaviors. When we are delivered from danger or an accident, we might suspect that angels have been sent by God to help us, and we should be thankful. You remember several, um, before we go into the cautions, some of you know that several uh, years ago, I was riding my bike down Garnett. The first week, they put those bike lane stripes in, and a car pulled out in front of me, turning turning, uh, left and didn't see me, and I hit the car. And all the cameras of the shops around caught it. And my bike, you know, some of you guys went around trying to find the car. You know, thank you very much for trying to find it. They hit me and they ran after they saw me move. And, I, and my bike flew up and I did a giant somersault. And, and to my shock, I wasn't hurt at all. And I really didn't even uh, care about my body so much. I just wanted to make sure my bike was okay. And my bike was fine. And, and Tom, you remember you, you gave me a bike tire that I still have on that bike because my bike tire was crashed. And Tom Schleyball let me borrow one of his bike tires so I could, I could keep riding. My bike wasn't hurt. Crazy it wasn't hurt. I wasn't hurt. It was amazing. Now, that may have been just an amazing work of physics. And I, somehow I did a giant somersault and landed it like, you know, but... I doubt it. Maybe it was an angel in heaven who caught my body and another one caught my bike. It's fun to speculate. Who knows? But I'm thankful. So several cautions. First, don't receive false doctrine from angels. Well, duh. 
But Scripture warns against receiving doctrine, false doctrine from angels. Paul said in Galatians 1.8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. We must be careful not to be led astray by Satan or by heavenly beings, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived E by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. Or a few verses later, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In 1 Kings chapter 13, a false prophet said, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Yet scripture immediately adds after that in 1, Corinthians, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 13 verse 18. But he lied to him. And these examples show the instances of angels giving false doctrine to God's people. What is the basis of the Mormon religion, which is a false religion? That Joseph Smith received a vision from an angel named Moroni. Don't receive false doctrine from angels. How do you know if it's true? God's word says it. We don't worship God's word. No, we worship Jesus, but he's given us this to remind us of what's true in the world. Second, don't worship angels. The worship of angels is one of the false doctrines that Paul spoke against in Colossae. An angel warns John in the book of Revelation. And John says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. We would think that means Jesus, but no, it was the angel revealing it to John. And the angel said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and of your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You want a prophecy? You want to hear it? Always glorifies the work of Jesus. If you have a spirit of prophecy that doesn't glorify the work of Jesus, it is not a spirit of true prophecy. It glorifies the work of Jesus. So don't receive false prophet from angels. Don't worship angels. Third, don't pray to them or seek them. Paul warns us against thinking that any other mediator can come between us and God. For there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no warrant to seek out angels in Scripture. They come to us. You seek the Lord while he may be found. You call upon him while he is near, Isaiah says. 25 times in Scripture it says, Seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. 1 Chronicles 16 and Psalm 105. And that is not to say that we can't call on the Lord to ask him to send angels. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of his ways. But you're not seeking the angels. You're seeking the Lord. And it may be his will to send angels your way. So what are angels? Angels are God's messengers who glorify God, bring God's word, fight God's battle, and minister to God's people. And we can relate to them in these ways. Do you hear them? Wesley wrote, Hark, 
That means listen up, an old English word for listen. Do you hear them? The herald angels sing. What do they sing? They sing glory to the newborn king. Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, Numbers 24, Deuteronomy 18, all these passages, Isaiah 9, Micah 5, Zechariah 6, Malachi 4, they all sing of Jesus' glory. There is going to be one. Jeremiah 33 says there will be one, a branch who will come. He will come and he will deliver his people. They sing of the glory of God that he would come and he would set his people free. You want real liberty? You want to be free? You want to be free from all those things that you pursue that put you only in tighter bondage? Then hear him. Jesus has come. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Peace, the biblical concept of peace is not just the absence of strife, it's the presence of shalom. It's a wholeness, it is a fullness, it is a complete peace and joy and utterly at peace with Him, relationally and spiritually and even with regard to the world. And mercy mild. The most likely people to recognize Jesus' day were the lowly outsiders, like the shepherds. The shepherds were considered the scum of the earth in the ancient world. They were the sinners, the Pharisees thought. They were socially looked down upon in Jesus' day. They were ceremonially unclean, and they had a reputation for being untrustworthy, the shepherds, the sinners. But God and sinners has reconciled them. You're here today, and you look around, and you go, I don't, feel like these, I don't feel like I fit in with these people. I want you to know you are welcome here. We want to know you. We want you to be part of our community group. The funny thing is, people will say to me, I feel like my situation is unique. So sorry to bust your bubble, but no, it's not. You're welcome into a house of broken sinners who know they're lost. That's why we confess our sin every week. And we know that we see in the grandeur of God's holiness our desperate and utter need for repentance. And we run back to the cross week after week after week because we believe that grace changes everything. In mercy was mild. Jesus did not come on a war horse. He came as a baby. And the shepherds were the ones who ran there first to see it. The Pharisees would have expected military triumph, and Jesus comes quietly. If you go to Baja Jack's, there's five different hot sauces. If you try the green one, you'll regret it. It's hot. Jesus came mild. He came subtle. He came in an unexpected way. Mercy mild. Joyful all ye nations rise. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that the dividing wall of hostility has come down, which separated the Jews and the Gentiles, and now we are all welcomed into the temple of God, which is his church. The holiness, the presence of God is there in their midst. Nigerian or North Tulsa, Owasso or Uzbekistan. We join the triumph of the skies, and with angelic hosts proclaim, we sing of God's goodness and his mercy. That Christ is born in Bethlehem. Theophilus would have known when Luke wrote 
that the angels said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke would have been familiar with that because his emperor, which defined his life and his vocation, was a man named Augustus. And Emperor Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and he took power after a, a very bloody civil war, and he conquered all of his enemies, the last being Mark Antony. And Augustus turned the great Roman Republic into an empire with himself as the head. And he declared that he was the adopted son of his dead father, who he declared God. So that made Augustus what? The son of God. And they stamped it on Roman coins. And poets wrote songs about this new era that had begun. Historians told long ago of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its climax with Augustine, the savior of the world, he was called. He was its king, its lord. And in the eastern part of the Roman Empire at this time, people worshiped Augustus as God. So Theophilus would have recognized this. And so today, when we hear these words to us about lords and gods, we don't think about worshiping politicians, although some have mistakenly done so. But we think about worshiping our security, worshiping our freedom, worshiping our vision of a good family. And into that, Advent comes and says, would you listen? Would you hear the angels? Because far across the empire was born a baby who within a generation, he would be hailed the son of God. And his followers spoke of him as the true savior and Lord in contradistinction to the emperor in Rome. And in God's providence, isn't it amazing that Augustus, this megalomaniac who declared himself the son of God, he wanted a census so that he could count all of his power in the people. And it was in his census that led Mary and Joseph to come to Bethlehem to fulfill the ancient prophecy. And there, were, there would be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And Augustus, best that historians can tell us, never heard about Jesus. But within a century, the emperors were trying to stamp out his followers. And within three centuries, the emperor himself became a Christian. Hark. The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Amen. As you come to the supper this morning, recognize that you're a part of something, friends, far bigger than you could ever imagine. And that child, the Lord Christ, wants to know you. So come to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask you would help us to know that when we come together for worship, we do so with innumerable angels in glory singing with you. To recognize that they can sometimes observe our behavior and that they sometimes protect us. Help us not to worship angels. Lord, help us not to receive false doctrine from them. Help us not to be overly concerned with their presence or overly curious about them, help us, Father, to seek first you. And should you send angels to minister to us, Lord, let us make more of Jesus, the babe who came in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the one under whom the angels in heaven sang and glorified, even as we now 
give of our tithes and offerings out of joyful gratitude for your greatest gift, your only son. And may we come to this table repentant and broken because you come to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.